Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey everyone, welcome to uh, an edition of 25 Years Vampire the Masquerade podcast. And this time it's of a vampire book. We're taking a quick break from the uh, werewolf because uh, Let the Streets Run Red, of course, for V5 came out. We're Chicago fans, lovers of V5. We want to keep it current. After all, we are 25 years VTM. So we want to make sure that we naturally keep up with that progression as always. And accompanying me today, of course, is DJ. Hello, everyone. And DJ No from Deep Dive with uh, 25. And we uh, and obviously everything else. Just wanted to clarify DJ for you. Um, <laughs> it's just going to be us. We're going to handle this whole book all by our lonesome. And that's okay. This book here is a storybook for those who don't know, weren't aware, but its importance maybe slipped past you. Um, this here is our first real grip look at uh, V5 around Chicago. And it's not that the Chicago by Night book doesn't hit home or that the folio doesn't give it to you. There's a lot of people talking about like ideas you could do that weren't the same old, same old with the old Chicago struggle, right? Pick a primogen, run up against that primogen, fight a ballard, you know, whatever. What are other things that we could do with this book? And let me tell you, this is the book you need to pick up to answer that question. I'll say first and foremost, it challenges you to work beyond your typical vampire setting. Also, it's going to flirt with you a bit if you're a Requiem fan. Maybe a little more than a bit, wouldn't you say, DJ? Oh, definitely. What we have here in the introduction story, I should say, it's called Debts Repaid. Debts Repaid is all about the Wolfpack. The beloved Wolfpack of mine, I... If you don't know who the Wolfpack is, it's the three, uh, uh, excuse me, the three Gangrel Archons that have kind of been in place since, I mean, since they started. Uh, they were always around Chicago, always working one way or another for, honestly, they're like the three Archons who didn't have a Jessica to answer to. They were just retained for the Chicago area. And I like that. That flavor felt to me on purpose. They had a Lupine Assault. They have uh, constant warring going on between Elder Kindred. You, you kind of need a permanent watcher, in my opinion, uh, to justify having them there in the first place. But if I'm honest, knowing how the roots of uh, the werewolf to Gangrel clan uh, were matching up, where the Gangrel first start off being the vampire clan most likely to have friendships with Lupines, and then quickly redact, not redacting, but backing that up and saying they weren't as friendly as we thought it was, and they're the ones most likely to war with the Lupines because of similar, uh, we'll call it supernal matchups just leave it at that why state that because when you read debts repaid if you're new to the game you're just gonna kind of go through this read and go okay all oh, that that sucks oh wow it's that happened if you're a fan of the wolf pack and a fan of chicago by night they're gonna gouge your heart out with a spoon in this story they're gonna do it and uh dj that's my opinion um does that mean it's a bad story I'll say it's not a bad story, but DJ, what is your take on the on the overall uh, intro story here? The intro story is cool because uh, much like you were saying earlier, the way that this book is presented is it's not your typical city camera like story that's being told. It takes you outside of it to give you the possibilities of things that do occur outside of the city. And in this snapshot of life that takes place on the road, as you have like these three archons trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do now? It puts you in that mindset to go like, well, what does happen? They do give you a couple of nuggets from Chicago by Night, uh, specifically as well with the fortune teller being one of the characters in there. If you don't have it, please, I suggest reading it um, in the Chicago by Night book. But it, it's nice that it drops Easter eggs from the get. Not to get a Fenris. He's referring no, Easter. definitely not. Right. <laughs> Just want to 
correct that some would go that what get a fair no anyway just me uh but the the three beloved uh wolf pack is also made more realistic they iron them out a bit uh they showcase a kind of a graduation i'd say they they move from more of a i'd say immature vampire feel of like three bully boys that are archons that run around and kick indoors to retaining that a bit but then showcasing one's got a hankering for a chill another one did something because of a mistake and had another one on the side one is the second chill you know there's a whole bunch of brother relations where it shows yeah the wolf pack is actually anyone who runs with these three guys not just these three and in specifics they also got an issue where one of them is not exactly Camarilla. Remember that? That part in the story where, you know, they got to go to a bar to pick up one of the members of the wolf pack, and uh, I believe it's Tyrus knocks out the door guard, and it's just Chilled's Ghoul's establishment. And, like, you know, there are other ways to get a hold of me, Dad. Could have done it the easy way. And kind of turns into a sitcom for a brief second. Like, cue the laugh track. Yeah, I could have done it that way, but then I wouldn't be me. Let's go. Let's hit it. And then they take off. I was like, okay, that's endearing. I can, I can get behind that, you know? Um, that's the likable part. What is the other part where there's a creative license? And I'm prepping everyone listening. I always assume everyone um, who's listening to us by now, they're diehard vampire fans. You're used to mechanics. You're used to the rules. You understand how combat goes and doesn't go. And there's, there's things that you will notice. Number one, if you look up the stats, even back to second edition, probably even first, and you look at the wolf pack, they were designed beefy to begin with. Now, everybody updated to V5 gets kind of pulled to a neutral point, as I like to call it, politely. That's my way of saying they get gutted. And why they did that, because they went less die rolling and the rules update kind of makes that possible. And they go with a different way of assuming successes, for instance. So instead of spending more time on dice rolling, it's more time on telling a story, which is a good thing. When you look at that and keep that in mind, remember the fight described here is to V5 rules. I know this because when I looked at it, it took me a minute when I was like, wait a second. I was one vampire thrown down with three. Like like three seasoned Archon gangrel killers. That's what they do. Why is one guy sweating them so bad? And how is that even possible? Why does a gun hurt so bad? One of these guys when it's not Foss. You know, there's there's no there's no indication that it is. What's the deal? And what I gotta tell you is, is that when you're a writer and you're writing a story and you got something cool coming up that sometimes you write a MacGuffin, like Prophecy, and that's that's like a focal point of the story, and that definitely is here, and you want to see that to fruition. Also, it's fiction, i.e., this doesn't have to happen in your game, whatever occurs, and you can make up for what it is. But if you look at it for just the story start to finish, it's it's not a bad story. It definitely gets your interest picked up in what's going on um, in this area. And what it's highlighting in the story is that no matter what, you don't have to just be in Chicago. And Chicago's influence extends farther than just the city itself. And that's the two main things I think you need to get from this book that I definitely felt uh, was was overlooked. I never really thought about including uh, Gary, Indiana, or any of the towns in between. But with the advent of the Goblin Road, certainly that's a thought. But what would you include? How would you include it? Typically, it's if, you, if you're playing Chicago, it's about Chicago. We're not worried about what Decker has kicking rocks over in his city. But... Here are a series of stories to kind of kind of merge that uh, that thinking. And with that, uh, DJ, let's dive right into uh, Power Prey, which is the first story we have here. You know what? I'm remiss. I'm remiss. There is an important point here I rather enjoyed. Um, in this book, you're going to see something really cool. 
and they talk about general difficulties. If you're new to V5, um, you will note that the successes aren't about having the most successes. Like you still want to have a lot, but it's harder to do. Number one, number two, it's more relevant. For instance, the storyteller, instead of rolling dice pool from NPCs to oppose you, typically will just assign a difficulty of success. Like you want to unlock a door, you need to unlock it quick, but you get a larceny of four, right? And some some blood blown or whatever you did for the scene. The storyteller not going to waste time giving you a higher difficulty and maybe two because it's going to be that easy for you. And if you get the two, boom, you move on. You still get the roll dice, but should be one and done, should be quick, and you're out the door, right? That's that's crappy example, but that's an example of you just player just needs to roll dice and the player just needs to get X amount of successes. And that difficulty is based on the outcome that the, the storyteller will continue the narration on. In this book, they turn it up a notch. And what I mean by that is you're going to see in a couple sections where they say if your players want to take on, for instance, lupines, well, we'll just say where we're at right now. We'll get to that later. Um, right now, it says that flat out, you're going to see two numbers in this book, right? It's going to be the first number divided by a stroke and then the second number. And what it's referring to is like, if you see a four slash three, what that means is what this character is written to be very good at, it's going to be a four difficulty for the player to best overcome or what have you, that character, no matter what it is. If it's a three, that's something they're not so good at. However, if you get somebody with a 4-3, that's a well-rounded, dangerous individual to be tackling with in the first place. Right? That's to say, no matter what, you need at least three successes to dance with them. Now, if you're not much of a crunch monkey, you don't really care about the mechanics of it, I guess you could still continue however you do it. But this book plays the pretense that everyone's around a table enjoying rolling them bones, getting them successes, having some underneath them, and, you know, continue on play. Uh, with that in mind, you do have Kindred Biographies in here, and it's uh, its own section. The whole book is laid out wonderfully. In fact, I enjoy a PDF reader. It's called Zoto. I use out of the Microsoft Store uh, exclusively, and uh, it's one of the one of the books that just I, I like the layout. It's quick. It's easy. It allows me to annotate accurately as I go through the book and take less notes by hand on another piece of paper, and I can stay focused on what we're talking about, uh, which is a gift. And more importantly, I use this for storytelling as well. And this book is designed for storytellers' usage. I do mean that. They don't, they're not here for a player to pick up and kind of thumb through here. Everything in here is exactly what an ST needs to stay on task. So when you're behind that screen and you have them awkward moments like, where am I? No, it's man, what's going on? Oh, where did I put the stats for that? Where's this at? Where are the lore sheets and backgrounds? This is boom, 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 right here. No, no worries. And all you got to do really is if you still want to do the old post it note method, I guess you could, but 2020, folks, right? Soon to be 2021. Just saying. Um, step it up a notch, prove your gaming and, uh, maybe make it a little easier for you to go through favorite and beloved books, period. Uh, but they don't disappoint here. So hats off to everyone for, for that, to making the book easy to use. So jumping in, finally, we get to uh, power per DJ, take it away. Sure. So in the first story that we, we do encounter is power prey and the story essentially breaks down to the following. You are within Chicago. There is a vampire by the name of walter nash and for those of you who are vitas fans he happens to be your easter egg this time around he in the in the vitas cards he's known as the prince of chicago they even make mention of it how he chimes up every now and then saying prince of chicago or his uh his sire and everyone else just tell him to shut up capone just tells him no you're not the prince of chicago however he happens to be a troublemaker and um what he does uh generally speaking is he gets himself into trouble because mortals are after him and you as a player and your coterie get involved to find out how to be able to deal with a black mayor, especially with a human. 
So what I thought was really good about this particular story ends up being, or this chronicle is, is that it's a matter of taking a look at a human and seeing how they do interact from a very humane perspective, from not a person who's working for first light or someone who's like a dedicated hunter like Sullivan Dane. But when someone's pushed the limit, what do they do to make sure to get revenge back on you? Uh, this story touches upon touching your touchstones, um, making you feel the impact of what is the side of right or wrong in it. Um, and you get to decide what ends up happening at the end when you finally do confront the big bad. What What is interesting about this story is you're going to find a character named Walter Nash, fans of Chicago by night. We'll remember this name. And he's kind of a he's he's a shitty venture is what he is. He's like oh, yes. the venture you never want to run into. Very creepy. They describe him, for instance, as being basically a freaking serial killer. Right. Like he looks kind of just a little disheveled in a suit, like maybe he had a bad night at the stock exchange. But underneath his turtleneck and whatnot, he has all these knickknacks and things and items, which I can only assume are from his various victims. So he just, for whatever reason, carries on his hairy chest as it describes it. Like they go out of their way to make him seem just, ugh, just, just low humane, right? And, and this guy is not the main villain of this tale, which, which makes it even, even more interesting. However, he is something the characters will have to contend with one way or another, and they don't let you dodge it either. Now, in that story, the cool thing about how they do this, right? You get an introduction, right? Kind of gives you a little quick, boom, this is what the story's about. But it tells you the number of players required, right? And this is three to five. N- note it says required. If you're going to play a little looser, you know, you have more friends, you want to include them, feel free. Feel free. But this is designed for three to five, and the duration is 10 to 12 hours. Now, why that's unique? Uh, this is clearly designed for you to sit down and go, all right, um, what if I'm running a convention? I just want a couple stories I have to write up and I want to run some scenarios to showcase V5. And that's what I want to do. I'm going to test myself as a storyteller. I got on board at this convention. Often happens, by the way. And I want to check it out. Boom, here it is. I want to do a video online of me and my friends gaming at a table because I think we're super cool and people want to watch this role play. Okay, cool. Here's a story for you to do that with. Please do. And uh, to take the stress off, we include everything you need and simple and easy to look through stuff. The other thing I like, there's a quote here from Gabriella, the Nosferatu Hound of Chicago. And uh, the quote here is pretty cool. It says, the kind pose many threats, and not just because they have the sun on their side. They can get into your skin and erode your foundations, which is, of course, the heart heart and soul of the story. Why I like that, whenever the authors use the world and keep it to the world, and either quotes or photographs or what have you, it's more immersion. And so the smart move, it's a smart move to do that. The more you keep your eyes on V5, and in this case, Chicago, as it's focusing here, um, the better it is for you who are going to run the story and for the players as they go through it. It keeps everybody in house. Now, uh, is there anything interesting, DJ, that you want to point out with the story? Or do you think we want to leave a, some of this under hat for folks to kind of sift through? I think what I like about this story and what kind of breaks the mold, as we were mentioning once again at the beginning of the podcast, is Prince Jackson being the prince can't see everything. And it's up to you, the characters, to kind of take care of something that just hasn't come to his notice yet. Imagine how many things are happening in Chicago itself or around the world around you that your characters have the opportunity to grow. And this really showcases how you could come up without, you know, without, you know, you always assume, man, the sheriff knows everything. The hounds know everything. What's going to happen to me? You know, they probably already know about it to begin with. This points out they don't. And and this is what happens in that niche little area about that, that highlights, you know, V5 and especially how that city operates. Those micro worlds, those those microtransactions. 
this does the story does a very dangerous thing too and it's just what i found players really hate it when something in their background that they didn't create or maybe they did that they didn't expect to be brought up is brought up what's your take on that dj do you feel that in other words do you feel they approach this right to where it's like ah no big deal because you can explain or they'll discover in story that that's just the natural part of the thing or do you think this will create a situation where the storyteller has to reveal more to one player it kind of ruins it a little bit when you do that too in order to get through this story i thought it was fantastic that you can't just take flaws to take flaws folks and when you put something on a sheet it's because it's part of your character so the fact that this plays heavily on each and every character's touchstone because they are personally involved makes you put up or shut up right you put them on the sheet you want them to go ahead and involved you said they had meaning in your life go ahead and prove that they have meaning in your life definitely showcases how we play at least um, when I, there, there are a lot of other <laughs> folks though where we're creating a character as a sacred thing. It takes a long time to put a lot of heart and soul into it. It's very difficult for them to see their character doing something they don't agree to. It's not unlike a lot of actors who have a beloved role or something they research and they just can't deal for that death scene, right? Or can't deal with that difficulty. They never saw the character going through it. This is one of those things, folks, that you may have to step out of hat to talk about when it comes up. Just be prepared for it. Um, there are all sorts of things you can do from talking to the team. Let them know what's going on. Them understanding that there's a, it's okay to have a little bleed uh, with what goes on, but this is obviously not not a world ender. Um, remember this this whole story is showcasing. Don't sleep in the mortals. Don't assume that because you can jump from uh you jump three stories up onto a roof easily with a hop that you're the god of the city because ultimately uh smartphones, cameras, that sort of thing. There's someone somewhere who might have caught you, and that someone may eventually find out who your boss is. Or who you have to answer to. And to that, because it segues easily, they highlight two avenues of, of uh, what I like to call bosses. And that's, of course, of course, from a sect perspective. In this book, this story here, and I keep saying this book, but in the story here, uh, the Camarilla have a presence. It's just interesting the, the difference the Anarchs have. And what I mean by that, DJ, I felt that the Camarilla always had like an out. There was, there was like a mauler they mentioned, or a concerned permission that'll come help out, or they had that elder back, you know, deal with them. And then I felt the Anarchs were freaking high and dry. <laughs> like you, you mean like usual? Yeah, like the Anarchs were like, yeah, you'll figure it out, right? <laughs> you took something. Ah, there's things you could do, I guess. There might be a random Anarch you can go talk to. Uh, no, no? Okay. You'll figure it out. I often, I often look for this DJ. We sometimes have guilt as STs when we consider, is there, there's just not enough help for Anarchs, you know? But isn't that sort of the life they pick? It is, and it makes uh, it makes having to help out Walter Nash just that much more interesting. It's like, well, if this if you have no friends in the world and the only friend you have is a, a really, really deplorable Ventru as a buddy who will probably give you the out, doesn't have to be, doesn't mean you have to join the Camarilla, it just means you have to sell your, a little piece of your soul to the devil, wouldn't you at that time? It's a thing. It's a thing. And now, DJ, my favorite part. You brought this up, and I'm throwing you under the bus because you probably thought I wasn't going to mention the podcast. Folks, what I'm looking at is a picture on page 17 in the streets run red with blood. DJ, please follow on. Turn to that page. I know you weren't expecting it. But it shows a clever left... It shows a basement. Nice checkered floor. Shows that there's a washer and a dryer. Maybe some some neat cleaning supplies on top. I like to think it's probably what? uh, That wool right or whatever. Makes your clothes smell good even after the dryer hits them, something like that. Wooden stairs that go down, and nice bricked-up basement. Interesting lighting. But then what it also shows is is a woman, you know, wearing a rather interesting choice to go do your laundry in. 
uh, pretty much panties in a purple shirt, getting cr- just left crossed, punched right across the face. Like, if we're talking, it's a punch where she's drawn as if her feet are leaving the ground, she's teetotaled. Right? That's it. This person practically fell into the punch. It's some dude, red hair, just decided to sock her in the face. DJ, can you explain a little bit by what's going on, just so people who look this up aren't triggered when they see? Because you know, I know how this works. You see, you saw this one. What the hell is this picture about? I said the same thing. Then we got to read. It was like, oh, okay. Well, and just to, to kind of give more gravitas to what's happening, it's exactly supposed to do that, which is it is going to to generate that emotion out of you because, you know, to not give too much away, but this person is of importance to you. This person who who just got attacked is of importance. And as they it, it, it should trigger an emotion from you to be able to respond to it in one fashion or another. And as the story progresses in there without giving too much away in there, this all ties together. This one image alone uh, kind of gives just that much more fuel to the fire as to why your characters are also moving forward with it as well. They should. I, I couldn't stop laughing because I still remember this. When we got the book and we were looking at it and you were like, bro, look at this, look at this right now. You were so impassioned. And then, cause we hadn't read that far yet. We just sat there and went, what could this picture be? And we were like, it's not a laundromat. Like, right. But who the hell walks around and just that, why is she that little dr- Like what is going on? And we didn't know. And uh, the the anger level was there, but then it alleviated as you read the story. You're like, oh, okay, cool. But it was it was a fun little moment. Um, the art's decent. I actually I actually appreciate it. Again, I love it when their their artwork matches what you're reading to show what's going on for that immersion. And just like you said, DJ, that emotion's on purpose, right? It's designed to do that. So, folks, mm-hmm. bear with. Sometimes you see stuff in a book, and people like to fly off the handle without reading what's going on. We too like to hit get hit with that emotion piece, but we always research to see where it's coming from. Give both sides of the story. And, but enjoy it, nonetheless. So now, moving on from Power Prey, because there are other stories here, my favorite story in this book, hands down, is The Dying Fields. Uh, the Dying Fields, I don't know who wrote it, and uh, I do care because this person needs to keep writing. Um, it's the... They touch on something in here that is uh, very rare for me. It's they make me imagine beyond. And what I mean by that is this story is designed to make you think of a small town of, of Willerun, right? Or Willerton, I believe his name, Willerton. And uh, Willerton, very small populace, 665, that number is specific. And it stuck with me, obviously. And as I was reading this, going through it, I couldn't stop thinking of all the stories that could run out of this place on that little bit alone. It's a sleepy town. It's along the Goblet Road. It's in there, you know, in the middle. It's... It's it's got all the cool things of a nice October horror film that you could show a place nobody would want to stop at. And if you did, interesting things are going to happen. Now, the dying fields. I, th- I think the whole story is designed to give just that. It's to showcase that you, the players, yeah, you're vampires. You're not the only thing in existence, right? We often forget that that just because you're a vampire, but yeah, there are werewolves, and that's not even good enough. There are other things that can exist in your imagination, in your world, in the games you play that elicit horror that can make a vampire a hero. It literally could, uh, especially depicted of what it faces. But in this one, it focuses on a cult. Now, before you hear it, yes, to my horror fans, if you've seen Children of the Corn, you'll get a big idea of what this story is about. But you're going to miss on something very important. They wrote in just the clip that old Bob point out. And say, it's up to you what you what is really going on here. We're giving you our tale. 
We're going to tell you what we're saying, make it. However, we want you to be aware that there are other outs if you prefer these other outs. I personally don't prefer another out, but may switch it up to run this multiple times because this isn't just a story and done. Willetton can literally be uh, an added focus to your Chicago game, and for me, it definitely is. Right? It's a great stop to refuel up and move on. Right? I'll just politely say that. Now, what you have here is that the characters are supposed to be coming through Willerton because, oh, the Prince Chicago sends them there. There was a courier. Courier was sent. Where did the courier go? Right? They're simply here to check up on something. If anything has taught you about the world of darkness, if a story starts off with an innocent little part, it's because it's probably one of the worst reasons you're getting sent somewhere. <laughs> right? No one knows about it. No one knows about it. Now, uh, the quote for this as it begins is telling, too, because it ties this back to Beckett's Jihad, uh, Jihad Diary. It says, when love and hate turn strange and, magpi and magpies filch the hours and Judas limbs betray, know you are a figment, a shadow sleeper's dream. And it's from the Book of the Grave War. Right? We know about the Grave War. We heard about it. But why and what ties it here? I don't even want you to be that concerned about it. Trust me, as you go through here and you read what's going on with the players, this will, this is going to shock you, right? It's written in such a different way. There's no easy, there's no easy villain. The player's not going to come here and go, that's ah, a Sabat, bro. It's a bunch of Sabat hanging around the court. It's a, it's a super group of Bali. They have a well. It's so obvious what's going on. Yeah, no, 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 it's not. It's not simple. And in the hands of a creative storyteller who wants to live a little, wants to get out behind the, the screen of just what vampire books say and uh, go any direction they want, just a little bit. The author wrote this to encourage that thought process. So just a little bit, stick your hand out and make a difference. And you will be rewarded in dividends. I guarantee it'll change the way you view this game, which is what you need to be done to evolve our hobby, to make it better. We're just vampires and just werewolves. We're underworld and that. There's a reason you're not seeing more and more films of that being done because it's been done already, right? So hats off to you. DJ, what was your take on this story? I deliberately am not telling you a thing other than it's awesome and what it's like. So we don't give away detail that would ruin it for you guys when you play through it. Um, what I liked about it is uh, there, there is no easy answer. There is no easy villain. And the reason, one thing that should be said is like coming to Willerton, it's a one-way ticket in and a no-way ticket out. Um, people have tried, but why would you? This is this town is like the children of the corn. There's a reason why things are flourishing, and, and the vampires there could be going like, "Well, we don't have it bad here. People are interested, so why ruin a good thing?" And when you get a, a situation like that, you get complacency where there is no reason to kind of shake things up because everything's just going so well. It makes it just that much harder to try to figure out where you're going to get support from. Before, in a town, rather in Chicago, you have your 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 Malas, your Primogen, you probably have Street Connects. You're in a small town, you have nothing to pick at outside of yourself and trying to figure out whether or not or who's on the take regarding what's happening in this town. I thought that was really cool because it just it it draws the suspense just that much higher. I mean, the thing it does off the bat in Willerton, it's Willerton, Indiana, first off. Let's look at that, get off the story. The location they chose, they provide a map to. Uh, like the stylized maps in V5, I've always, I've loved. I fell in love with them a long time ago. I think it's a good callback to what they used to do in books. They need to keep it up. And uh, Indiana just isn't, uh, wasn't on the map previous editions, right? V5 has put a focus because why? Chicago's been done to death. We updated it, it's there. We know about that. 
let's paint it further. And it kind of feels like a bigger play area, right? They, they doubled your sandbox. This is the DLC folks. And we got it. And it's great. And, uh, Williton's just one of them, right? We, we got more stories that expand that even further. And I think they did a really good job doing that. Um, now, uh, the fun part is, is that I deliberately didn't look up if Williton, Indiana exists either. Um, I'm weird that way. DJ, you might have looked it up, did you? No. Okay, Not a time of reading it, I didn't. Good, so you can't ruin it for me. Um, I don't, if you're folks in Williton, Indiana, I don't mean any insult by saying this, but I'm, I'm hoping there's a sleepy place of Williton that has like, you know, a limited amount of, like a couple hundred in it, that's it, that has these exact specs. That's, that to me is cool. Right, kind of showcases more, but right there. But if it's completely made up secretly, I find it even cooler, right? Because it serves as an example of what you can do, right? Because when it's the world of darkness, what you say goes, and it's our world, but darker, and it's nice. It feels like the feels like the tales from the dark side, folks. The kid in a playground here, right? Like, is, did you know what happened in that place? Were you ever to Willerton? And like, you would like this is a place in the Goblin Road that only exists in the Goblin Road. But when you talk to a mortal outside of it. Right, you get to Milwaukee. You ever hear? Of, you ever hear of Willowton, Indiana? What are you talking about? There's nothing here between there to there. Like, like maybe a gas station. Oh, no, friend, there's nothing there. And, I, and, I, and to me, I'd be like, yes, that's so cool. But uh, I digress. I digress. DJ, save everyone. I could gush on this more. I don't want to do this. But let's let's roll right over into uh, Innocence and Blood. So Innocence and Blood is uh, very interesting because it deals with another version of the Camarilla that most people don't get uh, involved with. And that is the domain of one Prince uh, Decker. And Decker's a mean mofo. If you thought, if we already had images of the Camarilla being a fascist city state and you take a look at Chicago, you're like, oh, man, that's pretty intimidating. You ain't seen nothing yet till you go to Milwaukee. That place is on lockdown where everything and everyone's taking a look at you, where mortals are completely safe. Um, and the story revolves around the fact that Prince Decker had himself a child in the form of Honor Mercer, and she's gone missing. Um, chances are he doesn't know where, where she went. You go on a trail, and the story is going to take place between both Milwaukee and the opposite of that, which is Milwaukee, which is going to be Indianapolis, uh, which happens to be ministry he- uh, held. And um, you'll get to see both sides of the story there. And uh, I-, I found it pretty interesting, if only because I thought the setting and, and it was just I felt the setting was so good because it, uh, for me, especially not having spent so much time in Milwaukee itself and Decker's laws being written out, the story of the Anubai, the reason why they are the way they are and successfully so, and no one's going to tell Prince Decker no in terms of how he holds his city or runs it, I thought was great. So a couple of things we'll point out here, because this is more of a sandbox story as they outline. Uh, what they mean by that is your players do a lot of exploring and there's enough here to get them to do that. But while they're going through, feel free to add your own plot points and things, and they may start something here as well perfectly viable and with good reason um the one thing is the fact that the i don't know decker's laws here as they talk about them they're not really different than a typical prince in the camera didn't you think they seem like common sense to be honest i I just can't see him being any different um there's nothing wrong with that but there's like a almost like a setup mark decker he's gonna run his place different everybody's gotta have a 30 odd six silver rounds are a must um no not really not really. It's, uh, you know, they highlight the fact that you need to remember etiquette. He is a prince. You need to go there. Let him know you're there. What's up? What's going on? There are ways to earn his favor, right? In this version of Mark Decker, the updated version, it's like he's become wise to understand he has a personal war and he has his Anubi. But to that end, what are the Anubi? The Anubi are 
hard-hitting mofos in the form of werewolf hunters. They defended the city, um, comprised of Ventru, uh, Gangrel, Nosferatu, and it's an ever-shifting <laughs> cast. So long as you keep on living, you keep on uh, performing to that. They're local celebrities because of what it is that they do. They hold it down. Milwaukee, as as safe in air quotes as it is for mortals and as tightly controlled as a Camarilla city it is, is also a beacon for a lot of lupine attacks. And they got to do what they got to do to survive. And these Anubi are the hardest of the hard when it comes to that. And it's interesting. The uh, hardest of the hard comment um, is no joke. I mean, they decide that they, I, I still, to this day, wonder why these guys are still alive. Right, they're that good at killing werewolves, knowing werewolves, they welcome to the city of the worm. This should be destroyed. This should be annihilated. Um, folks, if you're dead and you're not telling any stories, that's why Mark Decker and his new buyer are still around. It's that simple. If they're the kings of getting rid of evidence, it's still hard for a werewolf to figure it out, especially if they're focused out, out, Excuse me, elsewhere. Do remember, the Goblin Road is definitely attached uh, for those werewolf fans, we we kind of already went over this, but let's just say the Goblin Road affects werewolves in a different way, and they may know more in depth about what it is, and they got bigger things to worry about than what Mark Decker is doing in Milwaukee. There's there, that's the whole reason. Um, but I like how Decker's still super hyper focused on them because he knows there's other stuff too, right? It seems like he's catching on as they knew by that. Okay, there there just can't be like there. Let me put this this way. He's protecting his city, but I kind of feel he's growing to understand as a character that there's something else out here. There's something else going on. And V5 is smartly written uh, to where, like, that Goblin Road attached to genres in a brilliant way, and uh, that's Werewolf and Vampire, that it makes it to where friend and foe interchange nice and trying to see what's going on, all based around this phenomena that has endless story potential that they're just showcasing here. And uh, still doing it. With it being a sandbox, you can attach something to that. You can uh, have players come in and try to impress Decker to be part of the new buy, get involved with it. But I want to point out to you folks, we can't... We, me and DJ saw this. If you're thinking you're going to get a preview of what werewolves are like in the new edition coming out, I need to stop you right here. Uh, we heard that too. But we found the, uh, the, uh, the rise to the truth, right? Let's just put it this way. The werewolves in here are challenging, like they should be. Uh, but they still use the rules of vampire. They're here to represent, uh, stat-wise at least, of what the werewolves could do and what these particular werewolves are doing in the area, right? Because you got to imagine, they're not sending out the baby young uh, young pups uh, to take on seasoned elder Mark Decker and the Anubi werewolf killers, right? They're, they're sending people who could throw. And, and to that end, they encourage you to think of other ways outside of the box when dealing with them. DJ, there was something you pointed out to me. Do you want to go over what they recommend? in that section when facing the werewolves? They recommend to you uh, the following. They tell you that if you're going to hunt a werewolf, there's no point in trying to attack them directly. Um, so that's that's definitely the first part about it. But specifically, the, the one line, or rather this this one little blurb that I'm going to go ahead and spoil because it's just too good to miss, not to miss, rather, I could say, is in terms of fighting them, your best bet is to hit things around them. If they're in a car, go for the gas tank. If they're in a building, collapse it on them. If they're surrounded with less feral family members, you fuck them up. And if you ain't going to make a scratch on a werewolf without something silver, and even if you do, their skin is going to heal a lot faster than dead shit on our bones. That that is. Uh, that's tactics right there. That, that's probably better than any Sabat member will ever tell you to do anything regarding a werewolf. There ain't no glory. Just survive. 
Now, it also tells you that Engage the Lupines in a fight is a sure way to earn the Anubi's respect, and in turn, Prince Decker. You know, the only time uh, Decker punishes assaults on Wuros is when a vampire starts a fight, runs away, and leaves it for someone else to deal with. So he's, he's definitely in the mix when it comes to it. How hard is the fight, though? For you people who are fan people, for everyone who's a fan of uh, V5, you understand by now what difficulties are. We explained in the beginning. But we told you about that uh, number slash number uh, in terms of difficulties. For instance, facing a Lupine Warrior is a 6 slash 3 difficulty. Or pardon me, 6 slash 2. The Spirit Talkers are a 6 3. Right? Lupine. The Lupine Leader is 7 slash 3. Now, to me and DJ, we sat back and saw this and was like, wow, that's rough. Except we thought about it. Well, it's highlighting a very simple truth. If you're going to go at the things built to war, you better be able to, to, to deal war, right? You better be Mark Decker. You better be the Nubai who apparently have that ability. You don't have that ability, guess what's going to happen to you, right? It's just not going to go in your favor, as the excerpt says. But are there other ways around this challenge? Absolutely. Can you think of something else to do outside of this box? Yep, absolutely. And that's what you're meant to do. That's something that is, uh, well, I'd say the cornerstone of what we do when we roleplay, right? Every uh, every obstacle is an opportunity uh, to sing praises of a certain type of character that might have a certain type of build, or for the team to overcome as a whole. Or sometimes to run, right? Run the fastest. Can't kill them all, uh, despite what our beast tries to tell us. And in so truth, uh, that's sort of Milwaukee, right? It's old hat, it's werewolves, it's a new buy, it's a cool update. It's a neat little story to get folks started and a way for them to explore around there. And in another unique story, we have the Rusted Jungle. Uh, in the Rusted Jungle, we have Gary Indiana. Gary Indiana, I could speak. Uh, that's, that's absolutely what we have going on. And it flat out tells you that this story is to sort of make a, a mini Gary by night. It's to give attention where attention they feel is long overdue. And it's sort of a head nod to Gary uh, to let them know that they did have an effect on Chicago and what goes on with it. Because it absolutely did. Uh, to recap, uh, Gary clings to life by its fingernails, as they say. Like many Rust Belt cities, Gary uh, prospected on a single industry. Deal. However, that's not in, in, in the cards anymore. What well, once made it awesome, the place to be and everything going on is now you have a rusted jungle of downtown buildings and people looking for uh, jobs that simple trying to find a way to survive where they're at and of course uh, there are folks who are who are capable of making it work and others who are trying to find well opportunities elsewhere and that's in the in the world of darkness version it's even worse right and um it talks about segregation in the history that it had there and i'll prepare you for that that's something to think about um not to get upset about they don't pitch it in any type of way other than to say that it happened and it's there and uh that's another thing added to the city and its issues I enjoy the fact that this this area is an anarch area, first and foremost. It has the Camarilla fighting to have some sort of territory here for reasons you'll have to tell me. I like that they wrote it in there because it makes me think, who would do that? Like in an updated world and you have Gary, Indiana, and it's not going well, why would a vampire want to be there in the first place? And for the anarchs, it's an easy solution, right? Because we always knew. Modius was the de facto prince of the Camarilla here. And by prince, we use the term loosely. Right? He was always the joke who tried to say the Camarilla can thrive here and he's here, but he could never get the deal, the job done. Uh, ever, in fact. 
He's uh he's sort of there trying everything he can, and he's facing off against an anarch named Juggler. And Juggler's calling himself a Baron. But DJ, is Juggler the Baron of the area finally? Better question is where's Juggler? And he's uh where is he? In fact, not only where is he, where's Modius? <laughs> now, in keeping up with this, you might be wondering, well, that's kind of weird. What's what's going on? Why have the story at all? Well, it's because knowing the history between Juggler and Modius and the back and forth they went through, you also got to understand that the story is written and is pretty simple, right? Not in a bad way at all, because it's again, that's only on the surface. Basically, there's a, an attack uh, in the city. And as in Chicago, they have an explosion. And it has to be investigated. Initially, people are thinking it could be Lupine, fearing that's what it is. And that's when the players get called to investigate that explosion. And we won't, uh, won't steal anything else from it other than to say that's more than enough to get the plot going. Because the players being brought in to investigate that explosion alone and the fear of Lupines, and we already, we even did double whammy. We told you about the Lupites before we explained that the explosion happens. Maybe there's some truth. Maybe. Possibly. Don't know. Play, read, find out. And as you uh, slowly go through the story and enjoy it, hopefully, because uh, we know it's going to be a blast, you start to see that history never forget. And what are we talking about? Easter eggs. Like, there's a letter uh, that is in here off the bat that talks about what goes on uh, with Indiana, period. Stuff that you... It's called The Brief History of Gary. And we'll get right to it. I was blown away to read some of this, right? We know about Modius. We know about the Prince. Uh, we know about Loden. Uh, but, and Loden ruined this place. It's that simple. In a world of darkness, Loden did everything he could to ruin Gary's financial structure and well-being. Sort of, uh, he knew he was being opposed by Modius, and Modius wanted to be Prince. And Modius de facto is the Prince of Gary. That's where it goes. It's also known in Annabelle's as sire and is a primogen of Loden's council. So that has some leeway and pull to it, too. So it's like Chicago ran out of places for people to be elders and awesome at. So Modius fled and picked his place and said, this is mine. We're going to be awesome. And to the detriment of Loden saying, you're too close. Only I am awesome. Deal with it and figure it out. I rather enjoy that, right? It's kind of interesting. Sort of Loden's a jerk, but it's a prince war, right? A mini one in the modern. However, they call it a failed political gambit, right? He tried... He tried to call in several boons from the Tortor Justicar to arrange a conclave in Gary to kind of throw all sorts of stank at Loden. I, I want you to think about that. This guy who seemingly, who is he to accumulate anything? I, it doesn't even explain. I don't know how Modius could have accrued a debt uh, with, with, or excuse me, get something from Justicars to go at it, considering the entire time Modius has been in Indiana, he's been on the back foot. Right? He's fighting with anarchs, fighting with everybody, he's dealing with his sire, he's dealing with favors he owes just to be where he is, in a city that's failing constantly uh, to his manipulations, and he's trying to get it done. Anarch revolt pending, it's him and a few others that are, are even resisting it. But somehow, it's Hordor Jessica Ozo. And it's Jessica says, yeah, sure, we'll have a conclave in Gary, gets there, it took one night, it ends in disaster, and the next evening, it's held in Chicago. And in a back room of the Succubus Club, in the presence of the same Justicar, Modius finally ceded to Loden's strength. I, okay, right? Loden is, is the crown's laid at him. Modius is chained up. And Ed says ever after, Modius only took actions after first consulting with Loden. However, this is often done by the way of his sire Annabelle, who sits at the Torter permitted to this very night. 
Now, when you think of all this, it's like he not only lost, but he he literally was made de facto. If you're Prince of Gary, then Gary's also mine, says Loden. By those very actions to a very angry and upset Anarch movement. Who still isn't happy with the fact that Juggler's still in that area. Right? Juggler's everything that you can think about. He's Dr. Roxo first and foremost by the artwork update. <laughs> right? Does Dr. Roxo you see him so bad? I do cocaine. And it's what, it's what he seems. Now, Dr. Roxo's reference to Metalocalypse. If you're a fan, great. If not, look him up. It's a hysterical character. Uh, but the artwork is done nice. Um, Juggler is very emotional. He's, he seems a typical Brian arc from it. Germanic, bold, um, charismatic. That's the three things they use to describe him. I agree. Um, Juggler is ever that. But he's also a guy who's forever subjugating the movement for his own personal gain. In a previous supplement, there were stories already written where Juggler's whole point was to oppose Modius. He doesn't leave because Modius is that thing that keeps him from his own ennui. To, to that end, so is Modius, right? They have that, That's the admittance relationship they have. However, if you're the rest of the Anarch movement in V5, this don't fly. It doesn't. No way. Definitely not. And the reason because of that is there's, there's already been enough sentiment as it was in the past to be like, all right, well, if we're a subject of the Camarilla, then we are where we are, right? But when you have the one figurehead no longer there, then the streets were... I, I'm pretty sure this is the reason why the streets run red at this point. Literally, this is like the prime area for Anarch to finally go like, well, if we're on our own and we're doing what we're going to do, this is this is where we start to roll in, which is one of the major points of contention. Now, remember, Gary, as it's written in this book, is a dumpster fire made incarnate. Once again, as it's written in this book, is a dumpster fire made incarnate. No one wants to be here. Modius is only here because he contended with Loden, and Loden's only keeping it in there because he's chin-checking, or he was chin-checking, um, uh, Modius the entire time saying he's my vassal and by proxy, their facto I have this. And that's the only reason it's there is just to put it into the Anarchs. But now that this, these key figures are missing from it, all hell breaks loose. Now you have the opportunity to stick it back to the man and let them know this might be our shithole, but it's ours. Um, and and it's so <laughs> it's so petty, but at the same token, there's just so much more symbolism behind it that this, I think, is the perfect story as to like, if you had no reason to understand where the Anarch movement was just like setting flame under ass to be able to do something this is it oddly and weirdly enough this is it and i think it highlights it very well in the story and even points out how juggler in here and it's just a prologue like get to know what gary is uh that juggler turns around and makes a movie like a zombie film where it flirts with the masquerade and because of that movie being made and it was so so but people got to see it there are people in hollywood anarch specifically that come to help him out it kind of, hey, let's do the movement. Juggler's still doing it for himself. But because of that push of Anarchs, he finally gets to make himself Baron. Right? So I'm Baron now. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that cool? Yeah. Until Modius gets mad. Right? Before you uh, think anything of these two, note that they still have pull enough to make a gang war out in the open. Right? They talk about 2013, the two major gangs in the city, the Glen Park 45ers and the Knights, pretty much shot each other during broad daylight right in the middle of the street. And so Gary, once again, uh, becomes the murder capital of the world, per capita in the, of, of the world, of the United States. Let me correct that. Well, that's not really a good thing, right? It doesn't help your city, but people were like, like you said, dumpster fire city. We're not shocked, right? That's what a lot of people kind of treat that. But it gets worse, right? Modis and Juggler reach out to their allies in Chicago. 
letting you know that Chicago very much, very much is still it's it's super influential of Gary, right? The keeper, the two most important people in the city of Gary, vampire wise, keep reaching out to that city. However, nobody wanted to involve themselves in it. Right? Nobody in Chicago wants to get involved. Somebody said, "Oh yeah, I like this. I know Sullivan Dane. That's right, the great vampire hunter of Chicago by night. I know Sullivan Dane, the guy who in print has hands of God, punches for egg." I know him. And this dude, not only do I know him, I know just how bad he hates vampires. It's now V5. It's a V5 with an update. Sullivan Dane becomes that much more of a badass because we fear the Second Inquisition. And so wherever you want to say where Sullivan Dane falls in that line, just know that he's still badass. And accordingly, Mordius gives him a box of intelligence, and inside is basically dates, locations, havens, everything. Marked with a red X and tied up with a lovely black bow, as they put it. And they set him loose. Have fun, he says. Have fun. Let him loose. So basically, in 2014, Dane starts just killing kindred left and right. Right? Naming Zachariah, Travers, and Eloise, to just to name a few, um, as he just jumps in and starts smoking them. Now, this is all well and good, but then I would have to say this is just the cheesy part for me. Some mouthy ghoul lets it slip that Modius was the one responsible. <laughs> How does that happen? They got loose lips. You took that happens in real life, Bob. That happens in real life. You think everything's nice and tightened up. Someone's pride just gets in the way, and all of a sudden, all it takes is a beer or two, and and with a need for attention for someone just to slip up. But what happens? The anarchs come and they and they get Modius. You know, and they bring him, oh, you son of a ah dare you do all this, you know, and it's rumored his own chilled came and got Modius to do this. And uh dr- or not to do this, but to get dragged away. They have him staked, they're gonna they're gonna kill him. And they bring him to juggler. However, Juggler turns around and goes, wait a second, I got a better idea. And he contacts Annabelle in secret. And he tells his work out a deal in exchange for some boons. I want Chicago to stay out of things in this city from now on. This makes me the real Baron now. I am the real Baron. And she agrees. And then the Anarchs place Modius under arrest. I know what you're thinking. What'd you say, Bob? Surely you misspoke. No, no. Anarchs have a police. And those police have a precinct. And when you truly mess up, the Anarchs come around with all their officers, and they got to arrest you, and they got to put you down, and they got to determine what goes on in, in uh, the Camarillas court. It's an interesting stay of a... I'm totally messing. I, I just found the line the way it was written <laughs> uh, to be like a thing you would read about in some uh, reality TV show civil court. And it was entertaining, right? Like they just had that meeting. All right, put him in jail. Modius will sit there until we let him out. Kind of interesting. But Juggler doesn't get to enjoy this long, right? He's up there kicking rocks. He's ruling Gary. Things are fun. But the Juggler disappears. Some say he's just lazy, just doesn't want to get involved, doesn't really care. But then Evelyn Stevens, which is his chilled, she steps in and now she's the Baron. And she's in there. And she serves the backdrop of what the Camarilla is now opposing. Uh, in a city because where a juggler may have been a little hands off, a little little too old, uh, she's definitely got what it takes to to step up. In this, Sullivan Dane is still the hunting legend and stalking the streets of Gary to this very night. It's quite the telling for people who want to jump around in this area, right? The old rusted jungle of Gary, Indiana. I think it's a lovely piece uh, for folks to deal with and kind of have fun. And in this, you do have locations around Gary, a lovely map as well. 
to kind of help flush out where you're at and where you're stomping. And uh, to that end, it's beautiful. It's it's a great piece to kind of do it. And with a lot of quirky things in there, like Sullivan Dana and whatnot, and some uh, arresting Anarch Liberties uh, to make it still tongue-in-cheek and fun. To that end, as we kind of get through the stories, there are some Easter eggs in this book, and I'd be remiss not to let DJ dive right into the lore sheets and backgrounds as well. But of the Kindred biographies here, just to save some time, there's one I'm going to go right to because I saw the name, and I was like, wait a second. I am curious what went on with Elytria. Where has she been? DJ, who's Elytria? Elytria is the child of Helena. And um, whereas she had survived, her story is painted very differently. She was a child of Sparta um, who was very famous in her own right for, for her paintings and such before Helena just ended up finding her and going like, I need you to keep procuring me things. Take a look at this. And she's like, I don't want to. And she's like, well, you're going to have to. And this this poor creature becomes a slave to Helena the entire time. Fast forward after living centuries and such. You, you end up in Chicago. You have a, her enthralled with Loden at one point. Thinks well, that Loden may have died. Well, they were lovers. You gotta understand that. They were. Right, the of three course. of them were lovers. Both Helen and Elytra were lovers. Find Loden. At that time, I think it was Olaf Holt. Is who they found, or was it Datura? They named Datura in there. My bad. It was Datura and Elytra who found Olaf Holt. And uh, later on becomes Loden. Because in the V5 update, they put that they put that interest back. Where he was kind of, or excuse me, she was kind of a footnote. That's rehearsed again. And, uh, and brought back into play. It makes it interesting to hunt down. But uh, I cut you off, DJ. I apologize. Please continue. No, you're fine there. Uh, but what makes it cool about it is that she she's alive and well. Apparently, what ended up happening was, as we start finding out that Helena is trying to fight off the beckoning and uh, going off on a mass diablerie spree. She's going in for that buffet. Uh, Helena gets the itis. If you don't know what the itis is, folks, it's that feeling you get when you just fed way too much and it's time to go nap nap and or uh, feel tired. Elytria at this point goes like, this is my time. She's weekend. I got to break the bond. Bob, what does Elytria do? It's not only what Elytria does. Let's just back up a second. I may have missed it. You may have tried <laughs> to quickly move me past it. But it says after Helena shattered the beckoning through mass diablery. Now, DJ, we reviewed this since the beginning. We've been going over this. We talked about the beckoning. It's this pull. All the elders feel it. Everything else. And we've been seeing liberties taken where people are like, it's the MacGuffin. It's the reason you write people, elders out. It's the reason you keep them here. And with no real clear understanding of what the beckoning is or how you can do it. Just little slippets go here and there. This is the first time in hard print they put, that I can recall anyway, where they say, okay, you're an ancient Methuselah? Ah, just the operates a whole lot. And it'll shatter the beckoning, which brings me to the question, what the hell is the beckoning then? You, the beckoning the beckoning is, I have my ideas of the beckoning. I'm thinking Shug Knight's calling everyone back. And for those of you who think Shug Knight, I'm talking about Urshogi. However, that's that's my idea. Whatever's calling them over to the east, though, elders at this moment in time, a healthy amount of them, and I think it's interesting how they, they rain out elders because you want to focus on the neonate, are also coming to it. Not Helena. And because she becomes the exception, it makes you wonder... If, she, if her way out was Mass Diablery, what are the other ways that you might get out of it, right? Because she she discovered for her it would have been Mass Diablery because just of her feeding patterns. And she was like, you know what? I'm just going to glut myself. Does that mean that there are other ways out of the beckoning? Uh, hmm. it's, it's interesting because Diablery used to be that function you avoid because it erodes humanity. Right? It's like a fast way to becoming a beast. But we just can't let go of Helen and Troy. Oh, I think the character's so played out and tired. 
I'm just I'm just done seeing her. Like the character's draw isn't as important as to like, okay, so you're one of the founder, one of two founders for the city. But without your partner, which is Menelay to dance with and those machinations, you're really just can you please leave? Right? That's what it comes to. A leecher would have been a great fit to slide into what Helena used to do, take over our operations and go at it. And that's that's my recommendation, by the way. Um, don't have to take me for granted though. If you love Helena, please use her. It's just she's become the household name. And uh, whenever you refer to it, and it's like, ah, okay. You know, stories in, in um, BJD where she's controlling Nikolai and shows it. And, you know, we got clubs, but no, it's Helena. Everything that goes on, it's no, it's Helena. And it's, okay, at what point are we just going to go, okay, it's her, let's get rid of her. And, uh, but, beloved, I guess we have to have our sexy tortor goddess still running around and ruling the city, who is the only person in print I've seen able to do mass diabry and not become some subhuman thing. Why is she able to do it? I don't know. Uh, power of the pen, we'll call it, and leave it at that. You can decide, I guess, is the gentle way. But even after she does this nasty Aubrey, they dare to say Helena's still weakened. She's still weakened. It doesn't matter who she ate, how long she's been rounded up. Uh, because of this weakened state, Elytria gets mad when she sees her, is able to fight her. Able to fight her a bit, earns some distance, and runs off and builds a club called the Leonin. Because she knows her sire hated that bloodline a long time ago. Now she has a club to sit in. I couldn't think of anything more pretentious. But I guess that's sort of the point. You have you a mean sl- more Toreador? No, <laughs> no, I don't. In fact, the fact that you said that, I find that the least Toreador about this. Right? I, it doesn't make sense to me. You have two people who are about beauty and art, and more importantly, about humanity. That's where it was. Helena... Helena's a character who was written to be someone who was objectified and in her wrath uh, went on a tirade to prove that that's not going to happen, right? She became the personification of power unchecked, and she had all the allies to do it. Anna Methuselah to boot. Her, her even story of her embrace to said that. And so as she's marching around doing it, there was a war over her, for God's sake. You have Menelay, who was the peacemonger. He's the one that said she will stop what she's doing. Typically, that was gender reverse. You'd have the mad tyrant king running around doing everything, and here's the strong heroine coming to oppose her. They reversed it smartly and made more depth and interest. Well, here we got rid of Menelay. He's gone. Bye. Now we just have Helena the crazy, and she's a shadow of what she used to be in, in anything, really, in my opinion. And when you think of Tordor, period, and you wanted to showcase that Tordor were the subtle ones. They were the ones, uh, one of the clans were able to mesh with humanity well and fit in and blend, and a subtle insult from them can cripple someone's social standing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they could be sirens if they chose to, or they could be the very devils that haunt your dreams, right? They make you dance to a different tune. Tortor are awesome if you choose to use them like that. When you dumb them down to just, oh, she's going to brawl her, and that's what's going to be the case, and do that, you kind of leave a bad taste in my mouth. To me, it's 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 not the choice I would go with, is what I would say. Hold a leecher in higher regard. And if she was going to be someone who could brawl because you want to go, well, Bob, Roman occupation of Sparta. Stuck with her. And she took took that in the hold and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, she did that. She'd be better at it. It's plain and simple. If she did that, she'd understand that the to- as an elder, the totality of war is to make sure you win. Those who write the history books are the ones who get to say they've won. And where is that here at all? If Helena won, give her her crown. Let's stop saying she's skulking in the shadows, trying to figure out, still weakened, boo-hoo, jabs to the face. You know, if Elytra's are chilled, act the part. If that's supposed to be it. But if a leecher has the ability to overcome, and that's what this says, 
then let Elytria win and let that be the tale. But it's written to where you get to go. Bob, as you said at the beginning, isn't that up to you? That's what you're going to do for your game. Yes, but I have a podcast and I get to say for a length of time because DJ hasn't stopped me. I feel you feel the same, Um, DJ. I I feel the same. I feel the same. So, but we'll we'll save the ear beatings there. Is am I saying that Elytria is written wrong in V5? I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's two things. Justify Mass Diablery when the focus you never want a player to focus on Diablerizing left and right. That's that's ridiculous. Without a justification as to what Diablery really is in V5, like where's that window that explains more in depth the horrible thing of Diablerizing someone's essence and making it part of you. You need that explanation to truly understand uh, why Diablery is a bad thing. If we're saying, no, no, we agree out of game, we're breaking the fourth wall. Diablo is what you do when you want some cool SXP very fast and to gain some power. We don't want to penalize that for you because it's a game, folks, that we all want to do that Diablo. Great. Then state that somewhere. Help people out because there's a lot of people who fall short of understanding it. And there are other people like myself who go in depth because it's a good mechanic to explain what the beast wants to do, really, is to become more powerful. Right, always has been. And if that pension to Diablery is built in and that's what the beast wants, say it. Say it and show it, and then we all can go, uh-huh. Now I get why it's a bitch to maintain your humanity. And it ever slides forward to always the blood. Am I wrong? You're not. And I think it's also funny because of the way that Elytra is also written is once she she pretty much went bout to bout. And uh, just goes like, I'm leaving her here. Like she just straight up beats Elena and just leaves her in the basement of the succubus clubs and runs off to to Indianapolis where she holds this club um, of her own. It almost acts like its own foil, because if she's not going to go down that route and she's just as old as Helena is, um, they state here that she's she's having a sense of remorse as well, because she's she's trying to figure out whether or not she's going to go back right now. She thinks her new Greece is probably going to be Chicago. But so long as Helena's there, that's going to be an issue. So she thinks to herself. Do I stave off the beckoning then if I could get rid of Helena? So now you start putting different thoughts in the head there. It's just weird in that particular way. But uh, it's a story, folks. You you decide as a storyteller at that point to do so. We know what we're going to do with our story. Exactly. Now, when you get to other folks here, they got Modius in here too, naturally, and Juggler, because they're mentioned. They got standouts for there. And those are good. Those I will just I'll leave as is. You know those two. They're, they're not bad at all the way they're written. I had, I had nothing to say to them. I think the most ridiculous thing is Modius' Modius's, uh, bombs, right? The unknown Justicar pull. The, <laughs> the unknown I have Sullivan data in my back pocket. Aha! You know, that's those, those are blows to the face, right? It's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that either. That's, that's kind of interesting how that works out. Um, uh, mainly because you would think Modius, if you heard about Lupines, would do it to help Loden. And then I go, of course he would. He was hoping the Lupines killed Loden, and he did, right? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. And that's... uh. But it didn't help him. I love that about it, right? It's like the greatest of intentions and the slam dunk wasn't the slam dunk. Now, they also have a kindred in here, uh, Maxwell. Some of you will notice that. A lot of people like to flip to the personalities and see that Maxwell's here. Um, I caution you. Um, you do see Maxwell here. Maxwell's a great guy. Um, always love to have him. Former Bruja, first prince, as, uh, as I kind of enjoy calling him myself. And uh, since it's the first prince, the one that gets ousted by Loden for the throne, when I say it that way, for the throne, uh, understand that there might be a purpose he's here. I love it. I love his artwork. I love his story. Um, DJ, you were telling me, I love how you put this, that you felt that Maxwell after Chicago just couldn't get it done elsewhere. He couldn't. 
he he couldn't get it done elsewhere because for whatever reason that was just his world and um it's it's not the end of his world because what we know is that he he travels the world there afterwards and what he does is he starts to shut up shop where he attempts to but every time he sets up shop it just falls apart and he's like well that plan didn't work out and um when he hears of the absence of Loden, he's like you know what maybe it's time for me to head back to chicago and uh that's a story seat as well question is though like why wasn't he able to hold on to chicago in the first place hmm and by that, I mean the second time around, because if you see someone like this and they still have that gleam in their eye, there's got to be a reason that they're going to come back for it. And hopefully, maybe this time, uh, they'll get their comeuppance. And my hat's off to this uh, this book here, because it has the first, uh, well, at least I can recall, there's a transgender character in here named Marion Davies. Why I like it is because it's a fantastic character. Boldly put in here, I love the, the thought process they give you and the, and the ways they have to use uh, to use her. It's a great thing. And uh, it's something to definitely check out and uh, maybe use in other, in other formats. Like, for instance, I don't consider a lot of the characters they have in this story to be non-canon characters. Does that make sense? Like, they're not just here for those little stories. Because they put a lot of effort into them. Easy to read and see what they're about. Uh, especially when you get to their mask and mean. I always love that in V5. And because of that, there's life in the character yet. You know, so even if you're like, I'm not going to run that story. You're like, Bob's got to run. I want to use a leech. Cool. Um, don't sleep on Marion. Give 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 that detail uh, worth your time. It's uh, it's worth a lot here. Uh, I say bold, obviously, uh, because it's one of those things that uh, it goes unspoken. I think a lot of people are open minded now to it. Introducing uh, inclusion, inclusion of everyone in what we do in this hobby to make it great, and it's fantastic to see those type of characters. Although I would add, I would add, Vicos, I feel was the first introduction of this before it was uh, it was a known thing. And what I'm saying by that is, is because Vico, Vicos did become many things in its lifetime that kind of held that curtain and had a lot of those feelings, too, that I feel opened up doors uh, to people having uh, feeling any type of way about uh, being a man feeling like a woman or a woman feeling like a man and whatnot. And uh, what that might be to play around with that, to understand it better. And uh, I like, though, uh, that she's all in one uh, encompassing in here. And it's a good thing. Um, what are your thoughts on that, DJ? My thoughts are exactly that, because what it does is it gives the appropriate representation. And I think Vampire was definitely, when you're an immortal, right, it, it makes a better experience to understand it from a perspective of immortal as well and be able to kind of see where the story's going to head in terms of how you experience life and what you experience for yourself and what you identify. And in terms of the way that the character is also presented, it makes it so that you see not only through their perspective, but the perspectives of the people interacting with them, um, where you could gain. Every character, we mentioned anything from Prince to Neonate, from a fledgling to otherwise. What I do love about um, The World of Darkness, and especially this book as written, is every single one of them have that particular impact. And I feel that Davies does as well. I agree. And without further ado, as uh, those are just key point characters, a lot of them are good. I just wanted to pick out two here that drew our eye, and we definitely want to talk about them. Um, let's go over to, uh, well, everyone's favorite portion. Lore Sheets, DJ. New backgrounds. Hit me. What are some of your favorite here? I'm not going to lie. My favorite is uh, the Kindred Social Media Influencer. Mine it's one too. thing that a lot of people have spoken about in the past, or I've kind of thought about it, because it's like every we know that in V5, the best way of going about it is by courier nowadays. The elders and the camera are not about using electronic means. We know what happened to ShrekNet. We know what happens if, uh, if things get out. They're not about that second inquisition, but someone's always going to buck that trend. And um, the social media influencer is so tongue in cheek because it does it so cleverly in terms of 
it even mentions that you could be one of those folks on Instagram who never posts a picture of yourself, but you post a picture of your food and or a tasteful wine glass or a book that you've been reading. And that's just enough to hook people onto it. Um, and I think that's great because that's exactly what people would do. I know that if I had Instagram on my particular end, all I would be doing is taking pictures of food because I, I wouldn't be taking pictures of anything else. It's the one love you have and people are into it. So it's a, it's a way to play around with it. Now, there are other ones in here, too, that are kind of kind of sleepers. Um, I feel that the uh, the Milwaukee Null Zone is a very interesting one uh, to play around with. That, uh, long story short, there was a story a while ago talking about how um, more example of why the the folks have warred there for so long. That conflict uh, between the vampires and the lupines is still epic, right? And uh, talks about uh, Rolfo's kindred wife uh, being uh, being part of that. And I will just simply state that uh, the lore sheet in and of itself is something that allows people to tether that uh, naturally to their own story, which might be worthwhile. Um, giving more depth as to why you might be part of the Anubi rather than just, uh, yeah, because we hunt werewolves. Here's, here's a reason for it. Uh, naturally, the Anubi in here is a lore sheet. Uh, they have Juggler, but <laughs> DJ, you had some, some type of way about Mark Decker. So... With Mark Decker, and um, this is this is one of those things that when I first took a look at, I took a pause as well, if only because there is a rule regarding lore sheets, right, in terms of how you kind of take a look at them. One thing to definitely point out is each one of them is independent of each other. So when you buy them, folks, you know they they don't stack as you would normal things where like resources one through X. They are independent purchases of each other. But the the crazy one, I, I thought, I guess on my particular, and I probably would have rated it just a little bit lower. I probably would have put the Princess Trust uh, higher, but like the level five would have been Child of Mark Decker, where only Gangrel, only um, lore sheet there, where you're pretty much as chilled. I guess the reason they probably wrote it in that way is because we're talking about as well Honor Mercer in the previous story for Innocent's Blood, in which apparently he really gives a shit about his kids, minus, of course, his, his hired assassin one. But if you happen to be one of those kids, folks, uh, outside of his first child and you're the baby one, Mark Decker all about you. Uh, that's what caught me off guard there. It was like you could surplant who was there before for whatever reason. Um, and to that end, I'll tell you, DJ, what I thought then. I said, wait, save for the podcast. Real simple. Um, focus is the players. Right? That's what it is. So that's I think that's why that's there for the players to come up better than, say, an already written SPC. That's all I got for you, man. Uh, that's, a, that's my guess, my stab in the dark. as to the mysteries of how that can work out. Um, Juggler, of course, I thought was interesting. If only because, okay, these two guys are disappeared, vanished, right? And uh, oh, you can still take that lore sheet to kind of get bumped up and take what they had, use it for you two to slip in. It's, uh, it's, it's always cool. Uh, but remember, these lore sheets aren't here just to use only uh, for the story and only for that purpose. They're here to say, hey, if you got juggling and didn't do anything with them, or even if you did, here's what we have for an update fully of what you could do to add it to a background and more depth it's to your story. Out. Exactly, exactly, because the same thing happens with Modius. The, the lore sheets are also written in the sense of what if you still want Juggler in your game? What if you still have Modius in there? It gives you alternate um, effects depending on how you want to run your story, whether in the absence of or if the person's there. All right. And then uh, in that section, uh, we have at the very end, ready-made characters. Uh, it's that simple. They're ready-made characters. You don't want people to uh, necessarily play brand new characters or folks don't know how they would write up something to kind of run into the game and start and start playing. Uh, they made up a couple characters here. You could have the bounce around and run with and give it a shot. Um, these characters are pretty cool. Uh, I, of course, am a fan of Ronald Bog, uh, but that's that, that's me. Don't worry about uh, <laughs> why that is. Let's just say he's a lovable old guy. 
Uh, but it's a it's a fantastic character. Uh, Miss Janice and all these guys. Uh, I had the pleasure of playtesting these guys, uh, and uh, had a good time doing it. Um, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, their interaction, I think you'll find uh, on your own to be there worth it, especially for people who don't necessarily want to make up an entirely new character uh, to go through. Well, any of these stories, but I will say this, a good second of my favorite in here was Emerson Day, and uh, I really, really wish I would have picked him because the artwork they chose from let me know I knew exactly who this guy was. It I wish there was a way to... He's like, if somehow there was a human hybrid of like the Ratatouille mouse with a chef's hat ended up becoming more humane, it's it's perfect. Like his pointy teeth, his pointy ears, and his fingers just Mr. Burnsing it up. Maggie Richards is another fantastic character. Looks just like a thought. Um, or well done in selection, I should say. I don't know. I could talk on it for a hot minute, but I think uh we I have experience with these, so that's a little biased, uh other than that um congratulations to the authors of this obviously you guys did a fantastic job on uh, putting stuff in here we uh we have some points where you're like "Eh, a little weird but still there still fun um do you have any closing thoughts here dj about uh, the streets run red i love these stories i think that in themselves that they were just doing a focus in life as bob was mentioning earlier as well for convention play for for players just getting into d5 as well these little small vignettes are so good so good and it gives you the opportunity to once again play outside of the constrictions of what you normally find in the camera city and it expands the options you have as a player to live within those confines what else is the camera involved in why would you as a camera person even leave the confines of your city to even do anything at all why risk going between chicago gary indiana milwaukee indianapolis etc um because there's glory to be gained folks and especially as a vampire trying to carve your way out these are great ways to be able to do so and in a final conclusion, because I know I didn't say it and I meant to, I just the big glare right there staring at me as I looked at my notes. Please don't forget to mention. Um, it's the layout for these stories. My biggest annoyance for a lot of the stories in the past is where players are going to ask obvious questions, right, as you go through. Or new storytellers will. And a new storyteller would be kind of a nightmare to figure out what I should go with next, what I should do. What if I, what if I say this? What if a player does that? Um, whoever wrote this section to explain and kind of roll out the story to the storyteller, and uh, let them know, here's the section we had these ideas, go with that, here's what we would do, uh, here's what you might want to do, or create something different. Ah, it's fantastic instruction. It's fantastic instruction. It helps you understand the vision of V5 the way the creators outlined it. And it also helps you deal with one simple fact that a lot of players have, or new storytellers have, confidence. If you lack confidence in storytelling, it's okay. We know you're, no one's going to ever be perfect. No seasoned storyteller skips out on being nervous before they run a game. But those early jitters can make or break a storyteller because it's all they could think about as they're just drained trying to not be stressed out going through the game. What gets rid of that? Practice, practice, practice. What this helps you do is that you go through the story and you run it with one group. And you know, you read the story first and they definitely tell you to do that. Then you go through and try to run it and then you're wondering about it, well, I did this out of order or the players went a different direction or what do I do if this happens or that? They have tons of ideas of how to do that. Tons of ideas of what happens when it goes here. What is what happens if they go there? What if they say this question? What if this role fails? What if that happens? It's like you have a personal ST in your back pocket who is uh, helping you do run this game with you and letting you know, hey, it's okay. Take a breather. Take it easy. If you're reading this far, you know what to expect. No worries. Just have fun. Remember, folks, that's what this is all about. 
And so my hat's off to the storybook. This is the first storybook I like. That's uh, that says everything to me. I think thinking over two hundred podcasts. This is the first one. I'm like, yeah, I'd I'd really buy the storybook. I think everybody needs it. That's going to run a V5 game, and you should run these stories first. Get used to them. Add to what you intend to run, and make sure that you have the the feel down for you, so that whatever you run feels authentic and is exactly what you expected. So with that said, DJ, thank you for coming with me on this review. I know it's a lovely book. Uh, you're always great to have. Thank you, sir. Lovely to speak to you folks as well. Uh, folks, we thank you. And uh, we'll resume our, I believe it's uh, Rage Across Amazon is what we got coming up next. And uh, we'll see you to that next week. You'll hear from us. Thanks, everybody. Bye, folks. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM at our email info at 25 years VTM.com on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com If you would like to support us we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade